0: for another edition of Tennis.com's weekly podcast.
1: Hey, welcome everyone to the Tennis.com podcast. Uh, I'm Ed McGrogan, assistant editor for Tennis.com, the rookie of this podcast trio here.
2: That's straight out of Utica, Ed McGrogan. <laughs>
1: <laughs> straight out of the environs of I-90, definitely. Uh, I'm here with Steve Tigner, Peter Bodo, two vets on this uh, on this little show here. Um, they helped me out giving me... Their opinions on the most recent uh, installment of the Roger Rafa rivalry rivalry uh, in Madrid. It was 6-4, 7-6 to Nadal. A um, couple different layers to the match, but I'll let you guys get into it. And whoever wants to start, what your I thoughts thought,
0: were. To me, to me, the interesting thing was was the way that Nadal, which I hadn't seen him do for a while, maybe I hadn't realized, at least on clay against Federer, how how good he is at controlling what happens at a point. He you know for whatever reason he's able to set up the f- his forehand to Federer's backhand p- pretty much at will and Federer you know Federer's not he when he goes back to Rafa's backhand Rafa had the answer with his backhand and that seemed to me to be the basic difference is this this ability that Nadal has to to sort of take control of points and and work them the way he the way he wants to which i guess has always been true ag- of him against Federer maybe he's the only guy who can do it but Really seemed apparent to me in this match. I yeah, are
2: just figuring. He's just figuring out what he's been watching all this time, you know. Right, <laughs> but yeah. no, it's yeah. actually I think. But well, it, ra-
0: it just seemed clearer than ever. Right? Maybe, yeah, maybe because they hadn't played for a while.
2: Yeah, Steve's entirely right. I think you know, and and what, you know, one of the one of the elements yeah. in that really is Rafa's quickness, which is something that doesn't get talked about that much because he's got so much power and, you know and he and he hits a ball with such such pace and stuff but you know you got to be really quick to get yourself in the position to start dictating by finding Federer's backhand and uh he's able to do that Federer can't do that himself even though he's comparably quick because he doesn't I don't personally don't think he's got enough stick on that backhand most of the time on a steady basis to be able to, to really force the dunk. Yeah I th-
1: I think actually Roger hit his backhand very well in this match uh better than Sort of seen it. It seemed reminded me a little bit of you know in the Wimbledon final last year when Roddick was going for a little more on his backhand against Roger um, and trying to dictate a little more of that. Uh, I thought Roger hit it well enough, you know, for in, in spurts of time here, but it seemed you know during the second set the plan the sort of the usual patterns kind of emerged with Rafa just going to the backhand at will and eventually getting something to leak out of Roger he was hitting most of the errors or was setting up a short ball that it seemed like over time the, you know, the usual plan sort of played out here. But I, I I did think Roger, you know, contended very well, good second set, a little more clean I thought than the first set. Um, and it, you know, reminded me, I guess a little of what we've been missing
0: for about a year or so. You Uh, could also see that Federer to win points, to get points on clay against Nadal, uh, into his favor, he has to do something extra, something special that he, he went into, went to the drop shot a lot, which he did effectively last year and he, he did it pretty well this year, but it's also a, a risky shot. He missed one I think it was in the tiebreaker when he had a chance to really to really um get a lead in the tiebreaker and he missed a pretty easy drop shot. You would you would say it's an easy drop shot, but a drop shot is a risky shot and a Federer Feels like he has to go to that kind of thing. You know that Nadal has Nadal has that edge where he can stay inside his yeah. game, and Federer yeah, has to know, leave he, his game a little bit.
2: Nadal's just going to sit back and say, "Okay, bring it on." I think I got a solution for this. And Federer's got to be thinking, you know, what can I do to sort of change things up a little bit, or, or to, to 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 get the heat off me, to get the heat off my backhand and stuff like that. So the dynamic is pretty interesting. It's like the, you know, Rafa puts up that big wall of a defense basically, and then starts moving forward little by little, and that's becomes the um, the theme of the match. Right.
1: Yeah, I mean, he he definitely, I saw throughout the week, went to the drop shot a lot. I mean, against Galbus when Federer got back in. And even thinking back to the Australian Open, would you have thought that on a match championship point he would have went to a drop shot against Murray? He ended up not making it, but it, it seems like inconceivable for the Federer of a few years ago. Yeah, he's but, come around to that shot. Yeah, he,
0: he used to say that it wasn't really him though he it wasn't he, a manly man shot <laughs> it, wasn't, it just wasn't him but it, i think he always he always used it i don't know if that quote is completely accurate i think he he's always had the drop shot he just maybe he's just you know used it more now but well, um
2: he needs something that's pretty clear because uh you know at least in this time of year but you know this uh I, i'm you know what, what really struck me too this time was you know the the rivalry is so tilted to nadal on clay You know, 13 of those 18, those now record 18 Master Series titles, 13 of them on clay. You know, it's, and when you look, there's only, there's only three Masters, you know, granted there were once four, you know, things shift around, surfaces shift around, events come and go and change. But, you know, his, the proportion of, you know, masters Shields that he's won on the clay is, is is really through the roof. And that, you know, there it is. He's got, he's got a a home base, he's got a real fortress for a home base and he can conduct a guerrilla war.
1: Absolutely. Um, I mean looking at what Nadal's done I guess in this whole clay season now I mean he's of course not has't he's not lost a match at the French last year to Soderling and he's not I guess invincible on it if you want to call it that anymore but with this recent display I mean do you put him you know is he as large a favorite there I guess as in previous years in previous years where he was just you know before this Soderling thing before these injuries I guess he's always had injuries but is he? you know,
0: the prohibitive... I think he is. One thing that's going to help him and help Federer is no Del Potro, no um Davidenko. Not that those guys have ever beaten him on clay or beat him regularly on clay, but they have beaten him uh, I- within the last year pretty badly, and, and and they are dangerous, but they're not there. Um, the one thing... So I would say Nadal is the favorite equally as he used to be. The one thing that may come into play is that he, he had a great clay season last year and then lost that m- maybe that's in his maybe that is that's in his head a little bit as he gets to f- gets the french like god I can't have that happen again so maybe that's something that plays that plays in his head but other years he's had a dominant clay season and then just rolled through Roland Garris as well so he, I think he's back to where he was you know 2 years ago
1: yeah
2: and yeah. he's a big confidence boost from too I'm sure so yeah you, you the guy's going to come out with guns both guns blazing I think
0: What do you yeah. guys think of the comments afterwards Federer said that uh Federer said that you can't judge the clay season until after the French Open whether it's a failure or not. And Rafa disagreed. He said he said I still think mine is successful so far. Do you which side do you guys take on that? I guess you know the past few
1: clay seasons of course Rafa's dominated them but the momentum has sustained itself through the French most of the time. It seemed like you know the winners in those you know who's been playing well in the clay has been done well in the French as well. So you know I I think there's some stock but you have to consider with these two guys they're really only measured at this point almost by what they do at the majors to begin with, so it's you know based on them alone,
0: you might only want to look at what they do in paris Definitely but Federer believes that and he's I think he sets up these masters events to to set himself up for the French, but I don't think he's at a different stage in, of his career he's he's closer to the end of his career and he's thinking historically and he's he's pacing himself whereas Nadal is he's still wants to win these tournaments, if not as not much as Paris, these these tournaments still count to him. He's in, still got the reaction way. to them, yeah.
2: yeah. Well, well Federer is saying what he's got to say, basically. I mean, if you were a coach or a psychologist or, or Mirka, what would you tell Roger? You'd, you'd tell him, hey, listen, the big one's yet to come, so right, right. you're that's looking good, you're stronger, <laughs> right. you, know? Yeah. <laughs> and so, you know. Well, he's,
0: he's gotten a lot better than he was, you know, three weeks ago. Yeah, that's yeah, true. Well,
1: speaking of, I know someone who thought this was a big event was Arvon Rezai in the women's final. This is by far the biggest win of her career. She beat Venus Williams six two seven five. Um this is a very impressive performance by Rezai. you know, hit it,
0: went bold everything. Uh what did you guys see in this match? Yeah, she beat I mean she beat Justine early in the week and she ended by beating Venus. Um and she out hit Venus. That it wasn't defense, it wasn't Venus I mean v- Venus missed shots, but but Rezai's backhand very very solid, very Im- impressive at, at the end. She Save six six set points in the second set, which is you know you would expect that out of Venus, not out of Reza. So very, a much different player than I, than you know than she has been in the past this this past week.
2: Well, Venus had her chances there to extend it. I think you know this is I think a continuation of what we've seen in the bigger tournament season. I've, uh, Venus has played really well. I mean, she's won, won I think twenty four matches or something. Yeah, twenty you know, twenty six and four, yeah. Twenty six and four. You know, yeah. she's you know it's hard to fault her play, but but nevertheless. On the biggest occasions, you know, the Australian Open, granted, she was beaten, in a, you know, in a tough match by a good player. No, you know, no problem. But, you know, then Miami, she she really sort of went to pieces against Kleister, but a terrible match against Kleister. And now here in Madrid with a chance to win this title against a number four, 24 ranked woman in the world. Now, granted, they were one, one and one head and head, you know, going into the match. But, you know, you just think, you know, these failures at these, you know, a, at these really big events got, have got to be a little bit yeah. disturbing. Yeah.
0: It's a strange theme for her. You, you don't think of her as somebody who doesn't play the big the big tournaments well. She always, I mean, she has in the past, but, but if you look at the record now, she hasn't recently. But she you you look at her play and you think that she has that kind of confidence. But once she, when she lost those six set points to reside, she really looked, you know, disappointed and she didn't play nearly as well after that. Yeah. She also was almost double bagged by Yankovic in Rome. In I Rome believe. Right. Yeah, right. so th-
1: she's had her losses have been a few and far between, but they've all been sort of head scratchers, really. Um, yeah, I think what
2: Steve said about Rizzi's backhand—you know—it's you know I think I think if you go out there against Venus, you know, and it seems like it, it's more true this year at, at bigger events and at smaller events even. But if you go out there, if you just play solid, if you just keep the ball in play, you can't just keep it in play, pop it over the net. But if you if you play steady, reliable, consistent, keep your game under control, keep your emotions and your focus under control, then you're in with a shot. Because I think that the the one element that's lacking in Venus, I think, has been lacking for for some time now. If you know, it's been ages since she's won a Grand Slam other than Wimbledon. I mean, you know, that's
0: two thousand one.
2: Yeah, two thousand and one. So I mean, that's a pretty long time to to go without another Grand Slam. So it kind of tells you something. I think her game is there's a kind of an element of, of consistency and especially consistency when she really needs to be consistent that seems just you know not to be there or comes in and out
1: yeah one more um takeaway from not really takeaway part of madrid that may have been overlooked was the Bryan brothers as well they won their 61st career doubles title on the tour um tie themselves with the woodies um and you know it's a certainly an over certainly an under you know reported thing today about doubles but um any comments on this from the golden era of doubles maybe or
2: well, you know, I mean, what you got to give the Brian's credit for is is the overall effort to make doubles matter. You know, I mean, and uh, you know, you you got to love them for that. They, um, you know, all right, granted, neither of them was uh, appeared to be on track to have a big singles career, so doubles was kind of an only option. But they really built something with the doubles, and you know, you'd like to see them get a little more credit. You know, I, I mean, I think there are always questions about doubles, and unfortunately, you're going to suppress. Some of these discussions, you know, there's the issue of, well, the top players don't play doubles consistently. So what would happen if, you know, if Nadal and Federer were playing doubles as, as a doubles team? You know, uh, you know, those are what they have 61 titles. You know, in the Woody's era, basically, you also had, you know, d- dedicated doubles teams, too. Uh, but they, they also suffered from the same thing. You know, a lot, of the, a lot of the top singles players who tend to make the best doubles players anyway, you know, d- don't play the game. So, you know, it's hard. They're trying to drive, move the ball forward for the, for the game of doubles. Not a lot of people are paying attention. Their colleagues aren't particularly p- paying attention, even though the ATP has made a big push to kind of raise the profile of doubles and and, and get them a little more attention.
0: Yeah, they've done a. I mean, they've done a lot. They've had great energy. They're an they're an act too. They're not just a team like say Nestor and Zimonjic. They're a fine team, but the but the Bryan brothers have a. They have an act. <laughs> They're twins, but um, they got to stick, right? They got to stick. They got to, you know, they they do more than just just play matches. But they, um, I know Bob was criticized when he when he gave up his singles career because he he was a semi-promising singles player. I know, he, I know he got some some criticism when he did that and just focused on doubles. But I think you'd have to say it's the right decision. And they they add another element to American tennis to to at least this country's uh, tennis. And they're very representative, I think, of of american style tennis yeah the davis cup team certainly is glad to
1: have them dedication wise and um this week i guess before we look ahead to the french we'll save that for a future edition but um speaking of team competitions pete you wanted to mention um another event that might get glossed over the world team cup in dusseldorf um you know it's been around for quite a while now has it not
2: yeah i wish james were around too i could i could give him a little stick because he's always he's always lobbying about changing the davis cup and stuff but you know you know, you got to ask that question. Why hasn't the ATP, you know, Dusseldorf World Team Cup event become more of a big deal? It's barely on a radar for most people. And you know, the irony in that is that event is actually very successful. They've built a, a, a very good local tradition. They get a tremendous number of people turning out to watch the matches. Now, granted, it's a week before the French Open, so you know a lot, a lot of the top players are not competing. That's always you know, whenever you have a tournament struggling or an event struggling. You know, almost look. Look, the culprit is almost always lack of support from from top players. But you know, it ought to get a little more attention than it does. I mean, if you know, this is a consistent event. This this event's been on the calendar for a long time. It's the actual only official World Team Championship of the Pro Tour itself. And you know, and you do have good players playing. You know, maybe you know some of the top players aren't playing. And but
0: it, it's also the type of tournament when people can com- complain about Davis Cup. The World Team Cup has that aspect of everything's done over the course of a week in one place. It's you know, it's it hasn't been. Market it hasn't been prioritized or marketed well, but it has, it is what people talk about when they say they want to change the Davis Cup. It just hasn't been. Nobody's ever done much with the World Team Cup, but I know it gets, it gets good TV coverage in in countries other than the U.S. Like uh, in South America, people do pay attention to it, and in some of the other countries where, like Chile, where um, where Gonzalez and and Mesu they were, they 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 generally played this tournament because people did care about it there.
2: Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, I think there's, you know, well, for one thing, you know, out, outside the U.S., particularly a lot of nations, as soon as you say international, as soon as you say it's a battle of the nations and stuff, people turn on their TVs. They want to see their boys do well. They want to see, you know, they want to see, you know the people in little Ecuador want to see Ecuador go out there and, and, and open a can of, of whoop butt on, <laughs> on the U.S. team or something. So yeah. Anything you know,
0: that sounds like World Cup yes, sounds exactly. to, every, to everybody but us. I think that one thing you mentioned
1: last there was uh, about p- some of the top players playing the week before a slam. Do you got I mean, there's actually a, quite a few playing this week. Wozniacki, Soderling is in the new tournament in Nice. Actually, it's kind of surprising how many I thought pretty good players were playing this week for the French. Where do you guys? Do you guys have sympathy for players who? I guess they want to save up for the week before. Do you?
0: What do you guys think about? I think for that? somebody like Wozniacki and, and Verdasco, you got to take this week off and give what you can to the French. They yeah, played. Balls? we have played so much. I mean, this is a Davidenko. This is when, you, when I think of Davidenko, and I, I think of him as just going for, going for points, going for money, but never focusing on the slams, never never, asking himself, never holding himself accountable to do the best that he can at the slams. He feel like it's almost an easier route to just keep playing week by week and treat the slam like any other event. And I feel like Verdasco and Wozniacki fall into that at this point. Unless, you know, Ver- Verdasco certainly can't need more match play at this point. He's
1: he's been in the f- later rounds of most every Masters this year, actually. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I think
2: the, the the problem a little bit with some of these guys, like Dave is a good example, is that if you set yourself up to take that week off before Paris, you prepare for Paris. The pressure builds. You know, you you know you're, you know, you're you're a little edgy. You're thinking, well, you know, I could be a Nice with Robin Soderling, you know, collecting some extra points. And those guys, you know, those guys who can use the points where they want, we're looking to move up from number nine or ten or or twelve up to maybe seven or eight. You know, accumulate those points. You know those guys that can go out there and say, "Well, you know, this is what I need to do. I'm just going to keep my nose to the grindstone." Whereas if you take that week off, you know, you get a tough first or second round match in Paris and parents are going to lose that, then suddenly you've gone over three weeks, you know, with you know winning one or two matches, and and the pressure that comes with that also could affect the way you play. So, you know, in some senses, these guys who take, you know, it takes a real it takes a real kind of confidence to take the week off. I think you really. Know, feel like you're in there with a shot at the, at the big event, and some of those guys just don't want to make yeah, that I like commitment.
0: To, I like to see. I'd love to see Davidenko change his mindset. in That way, it's never going to happen. But to to actually consider himself a threat for this for a slam, he would he would take this week off, which which he's not playing right now. But he obviously wouldn't have done that. When
2: is he coming back? Anybody know?
1: Uh, not sure. Yeah, not sure. On that I don't one. know. Well, he won't be. When not be in Paris, Clearly, we know that. sorely missed. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. We're all counting the days. Yes. Uh, well, we'll look at those first and second round matchups in our next podcast, uh, previewing the French a little later this week, I believe. Um, Steve will be heading off to Paris as well. And uh, if he's not around, we'll gather the old standby, Tom Parada. And uh, we'll do it again here next time on the Tennis.com podcast. Thanks to Pete and Steve. I'm Ed McGrogan. Talk to you later.
0: You've been enjoying Tennis.com's weekly podcast. Thanks for listening. For all the latest news and events, head over to Tennis.com.